Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Growing up, I had a dog, a black lab. She was big and dumb and kind of depressed, and I loved her so much. Her name was Coda. I got her in third grade, had her uh, through all my growing up. Uh, when I went to college, I went to a school that was close enough to home that meant I could, on the weekends, go to the same church that I went to growing up. And so many weekends, I would be sitting with my family in the worship service. So one weekend, I was there one Sunday. I sat next to my mom, and I was there a little bit early, and we were kind of talking, you know, the usual sorts of things. How was your week? What's new? What's going on? And then the worship pastor came to start the service, and he asked us all to stand up. And in that moment, as we're standing up, for some reason, my mom decided this was the time to turn to me and say, oh, by the way, uh, Coda ran out the door yesterday and she went into the street and got hit by a car. She's dead. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blood. What do you do in this moment, you know? I'm shocked. I'm devastated. I'm wondering what's wrong with my mom that she's like, I'll just slip this in here, you know? What do you do when your heart just drops into your stomach and you're invited to sing a happy song? What does God want us to do with all the different emotions and experiences that we have, especially the hard ones? Does he really want us, especially when we come into a time of worship or prayer, to shove it all aside and just kind of sing the happy song? That's how we're supposed to be. Today we're continuing our series, Rhythms of the Soul. And the series is built on the premise that the things that we do over and over again, things we experience over and over again, that's what determines who we become. That's what's shaping us. And the truth is, the, the modern world, let's be honest, it, the things we do again and again and experience again and again are not turning us into the people we want to be. We are busy and bored. We are anxious and angry. We're lonely and tired. We've got a swirl of things going on inside of us we don't know what to do with. And it is a far cry from what Jesus offers us. Jesus, do you believe this, has invited us to actually become like him, to become people who are full of peace and purpose, courage and kindness, hope and compassion. Did you believe that that's possible? Because that's what Jesus is inviting you into. He's offering that, but the rhythms of life that the world offers us is not going to get us there. We need to be shaped by something else. We need to be shaped by God's grace. And so what this series is about are about habits and practices that can help us be shaped by the grace of God again and again and again. So that is what is forming who we become. And so today we're gonna to talk about two different habits, two different practices that at first are gonna sound like opposites, but it turns out they're actually like mango and habanero. They're like Frosties and French fries. They're, they're very different, but when you put them together, it's amazing. The two practices are gratitude and lament. Gratitude and and lament. The passage we're looking at today is in the New Testament letter of Romans. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at this letter, and it's a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a leader in the early Jesus movement, and he is writing to a group of Christ followers. It's a small group of Christ followers in this church that's in the center of everything. They're in the capital of the world. They're in the city of Rome, and he is writing to them saying, this is what Jesus has done and how it changes everything. 
And for most of the letter up to this point, he is talking about the effect that the death and resurrection of Jesus has, has had and the things that that means for the present, what you experience because of that here and now. But in this passage, he is talking mostly about things that we are going to experience in the future because of what Jesus has done. So we're gonna pick it up in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a really important concept that helps you understand a lot of things in the Bible. It is the concept of already and not yet. Already and not yet. So here's the idea. Already, there are some things about the kingdom of God that arrived when Jesus did. The forgiveness and freedom and healing and transformation and the presence of God's spirit in your life. These are the things that we currently experience because of what Jesus has done. And so Paul has been describing that through the book of Romans. But then there's also the not yet, the not yet. There are things about the kingdom of God that we are still waiting for that won't get here in full until Jesus comes again. So that's what Paul is talking about in this section. The, the things like our bodies being raised from the dead, the whole world, the physical world being renewed, everything being put back together again, that's coming. And so right now we live in a tension, a tension between the blessings that we experience right now, but also the broken, busted, sinful world that's still here. And this tension explains a lot about our experience, doesn't it? Do you feel it? The tension between the blessings and the brokenness, the already and the not yet. The underlying premise of today's sermon is this. The rhythms of our spiritual life need to reflect the fact that we live in this weird in-between time, that there is this tension between the already and not yet. Or to put it another way, our spiritual lives need to be emotionally complex. Here's what I mean. We have all sorts of different experiences in life. We've got some experiences that are positive. They're good things that happen to us. So it might be as simple as the weather is beautiful this day. Or it might be that we get to go on a vacation. Or your family is visiting from out of town. It's positive things that you're happy about. There are also negative circumstances. You know, you miss a deadline. You get diagnosed with COVID. Your family is visiting from out of town positive, negative experiences. 
But then also, as followers of Christ, we have different spiritual practices, different disciplines, different habits that we have, and they can fall into two very broad categories, okay? Some of the things we do, and we've talked about these all summer long, are, are celebratory practices. They're things where we are, are celebrating. So it, it might be that we sing a joyful song, or you pray a prayer of thankfulness, or you celebrate Christmas or Easter, something that is a celebration. But there are also practices that could be broadly categorized as sacrificial. They're, they're kind of the, 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 the harder, more serious, sacrificial uh, sorts of disciplines. It's like uh, when we pray a prayer that is crying out to God, or we sing a sad song, or it's, it's Lent or Good Friday. And so there are these uh, two different things. There are our circumstances and there are our practices. And there, there's a tension between them. How, how do they actually interact with each other? Uh, some of these boxes are uh, easy to understand. Uh, for example, the one up here, when circumstances are good and we are celebrating, this makes sense to us. This is what we call gratitude. It's gratitude. It's thankfulness. And gratitude uh, it makes sense. You, you've got a circumstance where uh, things are good and you cry out, God, thank you so much. I praise you for this. Uh, for most of us, the challenge with this is not understanding it. It's usually doing it. You know, there's lots of times good things come into your life and you just don't take the next step. You don't actually thank God who gave it to you. you, you what we need to be doing all the time is following the gift back to the giver. We need to see our circumstances not as just kind of random good fortune or something that we've earned for ourselves or something we're entitled to, but as an expression of love from the God who made us. And it's really important for our, our mental health actually to do this. Psychological studies have shown this again and again. People who regularly stop and express their gratitude, not just feel it, but actually get it out, on average, they are happier than people who don't have that practice in their life. And it's a really simple thing to build this into your life. Easiest way to do this is to get a journal or maybe just the notes app on your phone or whatever, and for three minutes at the end of the day, three minutes, you take some time to just jot down, here's some things I'm thankful for from today. And you take a moment to just say, God, this is amazing. Thank you for this. Or maybe you wanna do it with other people. Uh, so this is one of the best things my family ever did. My, my parents decided one day that they're like, you know what, at dinner, from here on out, every single day, we're gonna go around the table and it's gonna be like Thanksgiving and we're all gonna say one thing we're thankful for for that day, every single day. And so we would do that. And it didn't have to be a big thing. It just had to be something from today that made you say, it is true, God has done something good. He has given us gifts here and now. This is how God designed us to work. This is what our hearts are wired to do. When we look up from the blessing to the one who gave it, there is incredible joy, incredible joy in doing that. That's gratitude. Now, that box is simple enough to understand, uh, but so is this one, the one down here in this corner. When we've got negative circumstances, things that are bad, and they're this kind of sacrificial practices, we call this lament. It's lament. Things aren't going well, and we cry out, God, do something. Lament, these are the sad and fearful and angry prayers that we pray. If you've seen the movie Inside Out, gratitude is when the yellow guy prays, but lament is when the blue guy or the purple guy or the red guy prays. It's saying, God, I don't like this. This makes me afraid. This makes me angry. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You have permission to do this, you know. This is where a lot of us get hung up. We, we know that you could cry out to God, but somehow we just feel like, well, I just don't know if it's allowed. This is especially true if you've kind of been in the Christian world for a while. You've been coming to church long enough that you realize when you're in the lobby, you're supposed to smile, okay? 
Like when people say, oh, how are you doing? You're supposed to say, oh, things are going great. God's so good. Too blessed to be stressed, you know? Like it's just, it's all positive. <laughs> and you start to wonder, is it actually okay to not be okay? Of course, then you open up your Bible and you read the Psalms and you realize every third Psalm is a prayer of lament. There's a lot of complaining in that book. And that surprises you because when you walk into the worship service, a lot of times it's like, it's all happy songs. We're celebrating all the time. And you start to wonder, is, is there any place for me to offer my complaint? It, maybe I'm not supposed to feel this way, you know? I mean, Jesus has saved me. I, I got the hope for the future. God's spirit is living inside of me. Maybe I'm supposed to be happy all the time. Well, it turns out that having the Holy Spirit in you might actually make you more sad about the brokenness in your life and in the world. Look at what it says in verse 22 here. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've got God living on the inside of us, and so we groan inwardly as we wait. We groan, we lament. You know the alternative to lament is not happiness? It's grumbling. It's grumbling. It's the equivalent of talking behind God's back. Instead of talking to God's face and saying, this is my problem with what's going on, God, we turn to others or we turn inward and we grumble to ourselves and it chips away at our trust in God. Grumbling is when our pain drives us away from God. But lament is when our pain drives us toward God. Essentially what God has said is this. You can have any emotion. There's no emotion that's intrinsically off limits that isn't allowed. But you can have any emotion. The question is not what you feel, it's what you do with that feeling. Are you gonna let it drive you towards God or away from God? Gratitude is when the joy drives you towards God. Lament is when the pain drives you towards God. But whatever the circumstance, whatever the emotion, if you let it drive you towards God, that's a good thing. It's what God wants from you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you to hold anything back. He wants you to give your whole self to him. Now, how do you do this? How do you actually lament? Again, it's fairly simple. So when you are talking to God, you, you simply express in honest terms what you are feeling and what's going on. Challenge for many of us, though, is that we're, we're not really good at articulating our feeling. There's some of us, we've just never gotten into the, the, the knack of kind of identifying and naming our emotions, especially the negative ones. If this is you, if you find that kind of difficult to do, I, I'd recommend kind of just asking four questions. You say, okay, when I'm feeling this negative emotion, Am I angry? Am I afraid? Am I sad? Or am I tired? Angry, afraid, sad, and tired. Just start with those. And try all four of them, because what you might find is what you think is one emotion going through your heart is actually another one. This is actually true for a lot of guys. So for, for men, I don't know if it's just cultural conditioning or our instinct, we tend to see most of our negative emotions as anger, or we translate them into anger. It might be because anger feels strong, like you're doing something, you're pushing back against the situation. And so we tend to kind of uh, use anger as the main negative emotion. But a lot of times on a bit of reflection, what you find is this. What's really going on is that you're sad about something, you're grieving, or you're afraid, you're nervous about a situation. And, and the anger is just kind of a surface de defense mechanism for those more vulnerable feelings. Uh, for me, one area where I get confused is uh, the difference between sadness and simply being tired, because physically they often feel the same for me. And so knowing, is this, is this I'm worn out, or is there something that I'm really having a hard time with? And once you figure out what emotion you're feeling, what's going on inside you, you simply say, God, I am feeling, 
fill in the blank, and here is why. And this is what the psalmists do all the time. They say what they're feeling, they tell God why that's the case, what circumstance is going on, and then they cry out to God for help. They say, it's in your hands, I need you to do something about this. This is actually why it's really helpful to pray the lament psalms, to actually open up your Bible and pray the ones that are there. Uh, my go-to lament psalm, there's a bunch of them, but my go-to one is Psalm 13. It, it's uh, short enough that I can kind of you know, get through it without it being a, a super long thing, and it's also good for a lot of different situations. So if you're just like, what, where do I start? Psalm 13 uh, is the best place to begin. Some people also find it helpful when they're lamenting to use written prayers, things that other people have composed. Uh, sometimes our feelings are hard to get our arms around. We just don't know what to say about them. And so turning to someone who is good at expressing that can be really helpful. Uh, there are some people, though, who, who they're just uncomfortable. They're not uh, you know, sure what to do with kind of pre-written prayers or liturgies like that. They, they have the feeling of like, okay, well, if I'm uh, using someone else's words, is it authentic? Like if I didn't come up with the words myself, can I really mean it? The, the way I think about it is like this. It's sort of like singing a song just without the music. Okay, so uh, today, the songs that we sang in worship, uh, it's none of us wrote those words. Someone else wrote those lyrics, and yet we can put our heart into those things, and we can mean them with genuineness. And so the same thing with written prayers. There's someone else who, who thoughtfully put something together that can help you express something that's going on on the inside that you need to say. I, I find that in times of sorrow, this is especially helpful, because my, my heart gets locked down, and having some scaffolding to kind of build my prayer on really gets me started. That really helps. Uh, my favorite book of written prayers is this one. It's called Every Moment Holy. Uh, it's got prayers for all sorts of things you didn't realize you needed a prayer for. And the, there's actually a second volume, and they're all prayers uh, about grief and sorrow and hope in difficult times. So it's really helpful uh, if you want to try that. Whatever you do, though, whatever you do to lament, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You have permission to bring the hard things to God and just tell about those things honestly. You have permission to lament. Now, gratitude and lament, these two boxes on the chart here, they make sense. But what about the other two boxes? They're a little bit harder to get your head around. Uh, what about this one up here, okay? When, when things are going well in your life, and yet your spiritual practice is sacrificial. So, for example, he, here at Christ Community, we sometimes pray lament prayers in the service. So there are times when you could walk into the service, and you could be feeling great. You got into the college you wanted, business is going well, you just got engaged, and then we say, Pray this prayer with me. How long, O oh Lord? How long will I have sorrow in my heart? How long will you hide your face from me? It's like straight from scripture, but you're like, ah, uh, what's going on? And sometimes people ask the question, how do I pray a prayer like that when I'm actually in a good mood right now? That's a good question. What, what do you do when Good Friday falls on a day when you're like, I'm in love, you know? What you do is you engage in solidarity. Solidarity. Solidarity is when circumstances are good, but you come into a room with other people and you realize that isn't the case for everybody. You look around and you realize they might be going through something else. But when someone asks me, how do I pray a sad prayer when I'm not sad? I often turn the question around. I say, how do you sing a happy song when you're not happy? Like, how do you expect someone to sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee when their parents are getting a divorce or they've got chronic pain or they suffer from anxiety? What solidarity is, is it's a way of saying none of us arrive in the kingdom until all of us arrive in the kingdom. When there is sorrow in my sister or brother's life, I will bear that burden. I will take some of that on myself. Galatians 6 says this, carry each other's burdens 
And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is the way you fulfill the law of Christ. You do what Jesus did. You say, those burdens can go on my back. Uh, Things are going well for me. No, No one ever had it better than Jesus. And yet he said, the weight of what you are carrying, your problem, your pain, can go on me. Practically, what this looks like is actually fairly simple. Uh, One way to do it is to simply have a prayer list. I know that sounds like super old school, just like, what, just have a prayer list? Yeah, every old timer I know that's like, I've been praying for 50 years, they all have prayer lists. Like, they all do this, because this is like a pro tip, right? So you you write down the things you wanna pray for. And what this solves is this problem. When someone shares something with you and you're like, I'll pray for you, and then you don't, like, let's be honest, we all do it. I'm a pastor, you wanna... Come on, you wanna know how many times people are like, here, can you pray for me? I'm like, I will pray for you. You gotta have a system to figure out what you're gonna do with that or you'll just forget. It's not that you don't care, it's just you forget. So the first solution to that is when someone says, I'll pray for you, you stop and you pray for them right then and there, okay? So you do it. The other way you do it is you write it down and you have a way of saying, I can go back and no matter what I'm feeling, I can pray for that person. I can pray for that person. Another way to pray in solidarity is to go on our website. We've got a prayer wall on the Christ Community website where people from throughout our community are saying, here are the things I need prayer for. And you can see what's going on there. They're usually desperate cries. And you can pray for it. And you can actually click a button that says, I prayed for this. And then people will know how many people have been praying for for that request. It's really, really cool. Uh, Another way to engage in solidarity is to actually pray the news. Have you ever tried this? You pray the news. So when tragedy hits the headlines, that is not, for a, a Christian, that is not a piece of information. That's an invitation to compassion, to cry out to God for that situation. So when there's a drought or a hurricane or a fire, you pray for the people affected by that. When unemployment numbers go up, you, you don't think, well, what's the implications for the economy? You, you pray for people who are out of work. When refugees hit the border, you don't think, well, what's my immigration policy? What do I think we should do? No, you pray for desperate families. And here's the thing. You gotta use a news source from both the left and the right. Because in our society, the left and the right, they care about different kinds of tragedies. But the kingdom of God doesn't ration compassion based on our political perspectives. Besides, it's not about praying for your politics. It's about seeing people in pain and not trying to figure out what the solution is, but simply crying out to God saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You need to do something. You need to do something. When you enter in to the sorrow of somebody else, the sorrow of the world, those are some of the most Jesus-like moments in your life. It's solidarity. What about this last box here? This box right here, this is a secret. This is the one we all want. This is the one we desperately need. This box is hope. This is when your circumstances are bad. Your circumstances suck, objectively speaking. Not in some way that's like, oh, get it together. You you can figure it out. It's not really that bad. No, it really is that bad. You've got clinical depression. You've got a friend that's spreading rumors about you. You you just had a miscarriage. Things are objectively bad. Those aren't good situations. And yet somehow you find a way to throw a party, to come into church and to actually sing the happy song. You, You say, no, no. There is a truth that is bigger than my current moment and deeper than my circumstances. I like to call this defiant hope. Hope is not this passive, sappy thing. Oh, it's all gonna work out. It's not, it's not optimism. It's when you look at your circumstances and say, no, no, that is not the final word. That is not the end of my story. 
Sandra McCracken, she's a singer. She's got a line in one of her songs. I actually think she stole it from John Lennon, but she Christianized it. And it goes like this. If this is not okay, then this is not the end. If this is not okay, then this is not the end. Solidarity is when you say, my happiness is not the whole story. But hope is when you say, my sorrow is not the whole story. Lament is when you say, this is not okay. And hope is when you say, this is not the end. Hope is when you say, my life is not just this one moment. It is not over yet. I asked my daughter last night, I said, what, what would you say if someone said, what, what's hope? What does hope mean? And she said this, she said, it's when you think that the world won't always be like it is. I like that. You think the world won't always be like it is, that the sorrow and the pain right now is not the end of the story. It's when you take a little bit of the future that's coming and you bring it into the present and you say, I'm gonna celebrate right now because even though everything around me says I shouldn't be able to do that, I'm gonna celebrate based on what I know is coming. It's not here yet, but I'm gonna celebrate it here and now. Romans 8 says this, verse 24, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And I would add, defiantly. That's what hope is. All right, now here's the big question. Which one of these four boxes is the best one? Which one of these boxes does God want you to be in? I'll put it this way. Which one of these boxes was Jesus in? Gratitude. Jesus would perform a miracle and he would rejoice. He'd go to a party and he'd celebrate that the sinners were coming home to God. I found the lost sheep. I found the lost coin. The son has come back. Let's throw a feast. Let's do it. Thank you, God. That's Jesus. Lament. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Weeping, sweating blood. The cross is hours away. If there's some way that this cup could pass from me, God, my soul is troubled even to the point of death. He's hanging on the cross. The words of Psalm 22, a lament psalm, are on his lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus. Solidarity. The crowds come to Jesus and he looks at them and he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them. His heart is moved by their pain and their suffering so that he does something about it. He stands with Mary, the tomb of Lazarus, her brother. He weeps. He weeps. He knows what he's about to do for Lazarus. And yet in this moment, Mary is grieving and so is he, and he weeps. He's in solidarity. That's Jesus. Hope. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. The joy. If in Gethsemane, all that Jesus could see ahead of him was the cross, it would have been over. He wouldn't have gone through with it. But he knew that on the other side, there was more to the story. This wasn't the end. Hope. Where does God want you to be? Which box? Every single one of them. Every single one of them. There, there are some of you right now who are in the lament box. You're, you're sorrowful, but you feel like it's not okay for me to be here. Like, I'm not supposed to feel this way, right? Like, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to have joy. 
and you feel like I'm supposed to try and push myself out of this box into the gratitude box, you know? Somehow look at my circumstance and kind of rethink it and say, oh, you know what? This is actually a good thing or there's a silver lining or, you know, it's, you know this was a good... I, I, no. To that I say, bull. Bull. You don't need to try to get yourself out of the, 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 the lament box into the thankful box. You can say, this is not good. This is not good. I don't like this. You can groan. But Romans 8, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, we don't know what we ought to pray. You ever been there? We don't know what we ought to pay, pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit, that's God himself. When we groan, God joins in the groaning. God's not saying, get out of that box. He's saying, I'm in the box with you. Some of you, that's where you're at. I need to give you permission. You can lament. Now, there's a weird flip side to this. Some of you are, are happy right now. You're in the gratitude box. You're feeling good, but you feel guilty about it. You, you got good things going on. Some of you are like, I can't relate to this. You're like, I just like happy things. And some of you are like, no, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. You got that little guy on your shoulders whispering in your ear, you know, something's wrong with this, you know? Oh, this won't last. You definitely don't deserve this. And it's trying to force you into a different box. And I wanna say, no, you can be in that box. You are allowed to be happy. You are allowed to be thankful for the good things in your life. This is good. Here, here's my guidance. Don't try and force yourself across this line. Don't try to go up or down. Don't try to, to, to force it across the horizontal line. When, when you're dealing with your own emotions and when you are dealing with the circumstances of others, don't try to push that. It is not good to somehow present bad circumstances if, they're, oh, they're actually good, or good circumstances as if they're actually bad. What you need to try to do is cross the vertical line, go side to side. So when you are in the box of lament and things are, are really, really difficult, you're not trying to get the thankfulness, at least not at first. You don't need to say, oh, I'm so thankful my mom got cancer. No. The box you're trying to get to is hope. I know that cancer is not the end of my mom's story. But what you need to do is figure out a way to say, I'm going to choose to celebrate in hope even though my circumstances are bad. It's that defiant step of saying, I will have hope even though I'm still lamenting. You don't have to get out of lament. You can have one foot in both boxes. You can lament and have hope at the same time. I don't like this, but I know it's not the end. You can do both of those things. Or when you're in gratitude, you step to the side and you say, you know what, I am thankful for these things, but my joy isn't just for me only. I'm gonna step into this box of solidarity because there are people who are suffering right now I'm gonna let my heart be broken for their circumstance. I'm gonna have compassion for their situation. I'm gonna be in solidarity with them. I'm still thankful, I'm still celebrating, but I know that there's still brokenness in the world. My blessing is not an excuse to ignore the pain of other people. And so this is what you do. When you come into church and you're feeling one way, but we invite you to express something different, you, you, you move across the line. So you're weeping on the inside and we're singing a happy song. You say, all right, I'm gonna sing it in hope. I don't feel this right now, but I know the words are true, the things that they're saying are true, and one day, this is where I'm headed, so I'll sing it in hope. Or when you're on top of the world, you come in, we pray the lament prayer, you say, okay, I know I'm not the only person praying right now, so I'm gonna pray this in solidarity with other people. I'm gonna let myself be sad for their sorrow, for people in this room right now. I just wanna tell you this. So I was backstage last night, I was thinking about this sermon and I'm standing with uh, nine or 10 people who are you know, leading worship or some part of the service. And we always pray before the service begins. And I, I was just looking around just that group. And I knew enough of their stories to know every single person 
That's something that if, if we all knew, we could all weep over their circumstance, the thing that's going on in their life. And if we knew, there'd be things that we'd just be so overjoyed that it's going on in their life. If you knew all the things that were going on and the people around you, there are all sorts of reasons to weep and to celebrate in solidarity. It does, it does not matter which box you feel like you're in right now. You can bring all of that to God. Let me make this one more step complex, though, okay? Your life is not just one circumstance. It's not just, oh, I got a good thing or I got a bad thing. You've got dozens of circumstances in your life. You've got a circumstance at home and a circumstance with this friend and that friend and at work and with your health and with your fi finances and, you know, in your neighborhood and all sorts of things. There's just lots of things going on all at the same time. So you could walk in here and be like, well, I got a promotion and my girlfriend dumped me. Am I happy or sad? Yes, yes you are. I got my driver's license, but my parents are fighting again. What do I do with that? For, for a lot of people, they try to flatten out those situations. They try to pick one feeling or the other. I just wanna tell you this, you have the capacity to feel more than one thing. You do not have to choose between happy or sad or all the things. You can have more than one circumstance. We live in the already and the not yet. And so sometimes both are true. And not only that, but all the people around you also have a ton of different circumstances in their life. You can celebrate and you can weep with each person around you. So here's what ends up happening. The more spiritually mature we get, the more we find out that every single day we spend some time in each of the boxes. Jesus had a, a, an emotionally complex spiritual life. He had an emotionally complex spiritual life. I mean, how could he not? If Jesus walked into a room and he knew all of the burdens and all of the joys of every single heart present, how would he feel? He would feel a lot. He would just feel a lot of things, right? The more you become like Jesus, the more complex it gets inside of you. Maturity, it turns out, does not look like happy, happy all the time. It also doesn't look like always being serious. It also doesn't look like some sort of zen-like calm, never, neither high nor low. It looks like how Paul described his own life. He said, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You know what that is? A person who is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing is a gift to the world. This is what the world needs and what the world wants. This is, this is what we need. We need people who are not cynical, <laughs> who can delight in the good gifts of life. We, we need people who are not fake. We can be honest when things are really terrible. We need people who are compassionate, who are genuinely moved by the needs of others. And we need people who are confident because they say my life is not defined by this present circumstance. I'm part of a bigger, better story. In other words, we need people who are like Jesus. And of course, all of this is only possible because of what Jesus did, right? Like, you can't take any of these postures if you don't know that. Uh, my dog, Coda, like most dogs, she loved to have her tummy rubbed. You know, a thousand times a day, you got a dog, this happens. Like, they come up to you and they just, uh, you know, they roll over on their back and they're like, eh, eh, eh. you know, they're waiting for it. But when you think about that, that is kind of crazy, right? Like, that is exposing the most vulnerable part of their body to you. Like, if I was a predator, she would be helpless. She'd be a goner. But this is how a dog shows that they trust you. If Coda thought I was a threat, she would growl and bark and bare her teeth. When a dog trusts you, they don't just let you, they want you to touch the place where they are most vulnerable. 
This is what Jesus makes possible for us. When we say, God, this is the real me. Here's my anger and my shame and my fear and my joy and my sorrow and all of it, that's pretty vulnerable. You, you gotta trust God a lot if you are going to lament or hope or, or offer up gratitude. But when we look at Jesus, who he is and what he did, what do we see? We see a God who was born into a life of suffering, who all his life drew near to the hurting and the ashamed, who carried his cross to his death. When he could have stopped it, he didn't. In three days, he rose from the dead. And when you see that, you realize, this is a God I can trust. If he did that for me, he truly does love me. And he really is working out all things for good. And he has the power to take care of any circumstance that I have. I can put my whole self in his hands. I can trust him. Let's pray. God, it is true. You can be trusted with all of us, our whole selves. And so I pray for each person that we would each get a vision of your son, that we would see Jesus clearly. And because of seeing Jesus, we would trust you completely, that we would offer all that we have to you and hold nothing back and trust you the joy and the sorrow, the anger, the fear, everything. It's all yours. Pray this in Jesus' name.